understand that uh, we do have heavy hearts tonight as uh, we think about Elijah Marie. And Lord, we do ask that you would please help her to be found, help her to be safe. We know that the longer a child is missing, the less likely it is that they may be found okay. And But we also understand that you're in control and you're sovereign and Whatever your will is, let that be done. But Father, I do ask that you please help her. If she's ran away, help her to just come to her senses and come home. And if she hasn't ran away but has been taken, then we do ask that you please just somehow allow someone to see her, someone to just be in the right place and be able to have her come home safely. We ask for Miss Carol at this time that you please give her the strength and the peace she needs and the grace. And Lord, I just ask that as we open your word here for the next few moments, that you'd allow us to be able to focus on your word and that it would be a help to our hearts. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Exodus chapter number 36, and we're preaching through the book of Exodus on Wednesday nights, and we don't have anything else prepared for Wednesday nights, so we'll go through our Bible study, but again, based on the situation tonight, I don't, I don't want to be very long. I think it's appropriate that we spend time praying for, for the situation, and like I said, if anybody wants to help tomorrow uh, with some time, please let me or my wife know, and we'll uh, be able to get you set up uh, with that. Please be praying for the situation as well. Uh, we're, we're there in Exodus chapter 36, and if you remember from last week, Moses came down off the mountain, and he told the people about the vision that God had given them. They were going to build a tabernacle. They were going to uh, build the furniture for the tabernacle. They are going to do all these great things. And last week we talked about how they gave, and they, they were excited to give. They gave of a willing heart. They gave willingly of themselves. And this week in chapter 36, we find the result of that. You find Moses is explaining to them that they what the need is. And then you see the people respond, and, they, and we saw their spiritual response, really, when they came and they gave of themselves, they gave of their time, they gave of their talent, they gave of their treasure, they, they gave with a cheerful heart, not of necessity, not, of, not grudgingly, but willingly. And when you come to chapter 36... You'll find some interesting things. And I, I'm just, like I said, I'm not going to be long tonight. I just want to point out a couple things for you. If you look at verse number 5, uh, Exodus chapter 36 and verse number 5, it says, And they spake unto Moses, saying, and I want you to see this phrase, The people bring much more than enough. Now I want you to understand this. They didn't say... You know, Moses, that one rich guy, you know, the one that lives over there on that side of town, he came and he brought much more than enough. Is that what they said? They said the people. He said the people bring much more than enough. You know, it's interesting that these people, you know, in the entire book of Exodus, chapters 35 and chapter 36, and the rest of the chapters as they're building there, but especially 35 and 36, are probably some of the only chapters where we see these people actually being spiritual, actually doing something for God. Every other time we're seeing them complaining, we're seeing them murmur, we're seeing them have a bad attitude. Here they're doing something for God, but here's what I want you to understand, it's very interesting. They're doing something for God, but they're doing something for God together. As a group. Now, I, I, go, go with me to the book of Acts. Just keep your finger there in Exodus 36, we're going to come back there obviously. But go to Acts, and you know, I, I've showed you this before, but let me show it to you again. It, uh, actually, this the verse I'm going to show you right now. I don't even have it in my notes, but let's see. Uh, 
Acts chapter number 7. I think that's where I want you to go. Acts chapter number 7. And, and, and keep your bulletin or, or your finger in Acts also, because we're going to be going to Acts uh, a lot tonight as we go through this study quickly. Acts chapter 7. I've showed you this before, but I want to show it to you again. Verse number 38 says, This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him uh, in the Mount Sinai and with their fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto you. Now this verse is talking about Exodus, where we're at right now. Moses just came down from Mount Sinai, and he came down with the oracles. The oracles are referring to the Word of God. If you remember, he came down with the Ten Commandments, but not just that. He came down with the whole commandment and everything that God had told him up on the mount. And this is the exact time we're seeing in Exodus. Now, Acts, you've got to understand... The, the book of Acts is all about the establishing and the growth and the under us. It, it's there for us to understand the local New Testament church. You understand what I'm talking about? In the Old Testament, you had Israel. In the New Testament, you had the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know He established a church when He said, On this rock I will uh, build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And He had His twelve disciples there. But the book, book of Acts is where we really learn about the church and the mission of the church and the characteristics of the church. And in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit saw it fitting to tell us that there was a church in the wilderness. And what that tells us is that the congregation in the wilderness can often be referred to as a church body with Moses being the leader there, the spiritual leader, the pastor. And we can learn from that church. And here's what I want you to understand. If the children of Israel were the congregation, were the church, go back to Acts chapter 1. And uh, that represents us as a local New Testament church. And by the way, they were wandering in the wilderness, right? Which could be a picture of the world. You and I are wandering in our wilderness here. And Lord willing, we'll cross that Jordan and enter into a land of Canaan and we'll enter into a land of uh, victory and conquest. And we understand that. But the church, and here's what you get. What you get. When, when the church in the wilderness actually accomplished something for the work of God and weren't complaining and weren't fighting and weren't arguing and weren't uh, murmuring and weren't, you know, backbiting, when they actually started to do something for God, here's what you can understand. They did it together. They worked together. And what you got to understand is, the word church means congregation. And the church is not a building. I've said this so many times in behind this pulpit. I'm sure you, you heard me say it before. But the church is not a building. The church is not walls. The church is not, you know, a beautiful ceiling tiles that we purchase. The beautiful, the, 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 it's not a building. It is us. It is a group of people. It is when we come together as believers and we come together and unite. You and I form the local New Testament church. And what you got to understand about the church is the only way that we're able to do something or accomplish something for God is when you and I work together. They said to Moses, the people, they said plural, the people have brought. What were they doing? They were working together. Look, you're there in Acts chapter 1, look at verse 14. Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. And I know we've seen these verses before, but in Acts 1.14 the Bible says, These all continued... With, I want you to notice this term, one accord. You see that? That word accord, that's like a musical term. That's referring to the fact that they were all in harmony. And they were all, you know, it's like uh, the choir, when the choir sings. And you've got some people singing soprano, and you've got some people singing high soprano, and you've got some people singing alto, and you've got some people singing tenor, and you've got some people trying to sing bass. And I'm just kidding. They're singing bass. But uh, you guys, uh, the guys, the Brother Vincent doesn't say, doesn't think it's that funny. Because he's a bass. Now, but you've got all these different people singing all these different parts. And if you listen to the tenor just sing by himself, it doesn't sound that great. But when all these parts come together, hey, they sound beautiful. 
And the Bible says about these people, you know, we're all different in the church, but when we all come together and we all work together, the Bible says about the church in Acts, it says, these all continued with one accord. They were together working, look what it says, with one accord. What were they doing in one accord? In prayer, in supplication, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with His brethren. The church of Acts and the church of Jerusalem, who in a few chapters is going to have over 3,000 people saved and baptized, and a few chapters later, they had 5,000 people saved. This church that accomplished something great for God, the Bible uses this terminology about them. It says they were working in one accord. Look at Acts chapter 2, look at verse 1. Acts 2, 1. It says that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, right before they had the biggest bringing in of souls and the biggest harvest that they'd had of souls ever, Right before they had 3,000 people saved and baptized and discipled, the Bible tells us about these people, these 120, it says in verse 1 of chapter 2, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. You see that? Is it a coincidence? Go to uh, look, at, look at verse 46 in the same chapter. After they had all these people saved, actually look at verse 42, we saw this on Sunday morning. Verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. This after they had 3,000 souls saved and baptized. And in verse 46 it says, And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Keep your finger there in Acts, but go to Psalms real quickly. Psalm, if you open up your Bible, just smack down the middle, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. Psalm 133, look at verse number 1, and here's, you say, Pastor, why are you saying this? Because you got to understand, if we're going to do something for God, if we're going to accomplish something for Christ, we're going to have to learn as a church to work together to be in one accord. The Bible says in Psalm 133, if you look at verse number 1, Psalm 133 and verse number 1, it says, Behold, are you there? I want you to see this. Psalm 133, 1. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in... What's that next word? Unity. Do you see that? See... Church is not a club. Church is not somewhere we go because we, you know, it's fun or and it should be, you know, an enjoyable place. We understand that. But church is a place we go so that brethren can dwell together in unity. So that we can work in one accord. And you know what that means is that when one of us rejoices, we all rejoice. And when one of us is hurting, we are all hurting. And when one of us is praying, we're all praying. And when someone's going through something difficult, hey, we all a church that accomplishes something for God is a church that comes together in the high times and in the low times and in the good times and in the bad times and we work together in one accord. And so often, what limits the ability of a church to accomplish something for God is the fact that we're all out for our own goodwill. We're all out for whatever works for us. We're all out, you know, it's sad as you study, you know, sometimes as a pastor, I grow convinced that there are some people who, it almost seems like, man, don't let so-and-so talk to a visitor. You know, they're going to say something rude or offensive. And look, we ought to all have the same mindset, and we ought to understand that we got to love everybody here. You know, red and yellow, black and white, doesn't matter what side of the tracks they're on, doesn't matter what they look like or, or where they're at in their spiritual level, everyone ought to feel accepted when they come here. Because why? If there's somewhere where people can come and be accepted, it ought to be church. Today we live in a society where everyone wants to, our society wants to separate us. I, I grew disgusted as I watched the election unfold on our, on, the, on our internet. We don't have a television, we're watching it on our, our computer, we're getting updates and stuff. And you know, all these, 
All these polls come out with, well, the Hispanic vote has this, and the black vote has this, and the female vote has this, and the African American vote has this, and the Indian American vote has this, and the Chinese. You know, it's like, what about the American vote? Our society wants to separate us and, 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 and wants to highlight what makes us different. When you come to church, well, you know what we ought to highlight is the fact that we're all sinners and we all need Jesus Christ. That we all need the love of God and that we all need each other. And you got to understand, you need this church and this church needs you. you got to understand that. You know, and by the way, did you notice when it kept saying they were in one accord and they were in one place? They were in one accord and they were in prayer together. They had emphasized the fact that they would come together on a regular basis and see each other and encourage each other and love each other. That's what a church Amen. that accomplishes something for God, a church that loves each other, says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I was, you know, that means we're on the same page. That means we're accomplishing the same thing. Go to, go to Ephesians. Uh, actually, go, go back to it. Have your finger in Exodus 36. But find Ephesians real quickly. Find Ephesians. You know, we, we need to be at, to the place... When we're in one accord, we're working together. Sometimes, because you bring people to church and people are humans, we understand that, and people are sinners. Sometimes we're working against each other. We need to understand, we need to be working with each other. One one example I I saw of this recently, which uh, I I thought was amazing, and I hope I don't embarrass uh, Brother Vincent by saying this, but, you know, a couple couple weeks ago, we were having... uh, like every, every Sunday night, we have uh, cake and ice cream after the, the last Sunday night. Every last Sunday night of the month, we have cake and ice cream after the service. And um, there was a first-time visitor we had here in church, uh, a lady. And my wife, you know, left the service, you know, while we were praying, uh, singing. She left, and she started cutting up the cake and started getting things ready for the thing. And Brother Vincent saw the first-time visitor started walking this way. And Brother Vincent went up to my wife and said, Here, let me pass out the cake and ice cream, and let me make sure everybody's fed, and you can go give the, and, and you, that way you're freed up, so you can go give the gospel to, to that lady. And my wife thought, Wow, that's, that's, that's great, because she was trying to hurry and get all that stuff taken care of so that she could have time. You know what that tells me? We're, we're working together. We're on the same page. We understand, you know, what that tells me, and again, not to highlight Brother Vincent, you know, but, but what that tells me is that there are other people who are starting to get on the same page and realizing, hey, this isn't just about us, and it's not just about fellowship, and not just about cake and ice cream, it's about reaching the lost, it's about giving God. And what happened? That lady got saved. Amen. That lady accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior that night. Why? Because people start working together when we're in one accord and we're on the same page and we're trying to accomplish the same goal and the same thing. That's when we can do something for God. They came, these people, they came together and they had a big task to build a tabernacle, to build a tent, to build all these different types of furniture. But when they worked together, they were able to accomplish much. Not only that though, look at, go back to Exodus 36. Exodus 30, 36. I want you to see this. Not only did they work together, here's what you understand. When a, when a, man of, when a leader stands up and says, here's the need, here's what we need. Like Moses did. You're always praying that God will do something. Because you never know who's going to respond. And you never know if anyone's going to actually give or actually come on board. And God did a miracle here. And I, and I promise you this is a miracle. And if you don't think it's a miracle, then go start a church somewhere and tell me if you don't think it's a miracle. But in Exodus chapter 36 and verse 5, notice what it says. It says, And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much Notice this term, more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. So they brought what they needed, 
But they brought more than they needed. And in verse 6 it says, And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Notice this. If you don't tell me that this is not a miracle. I've never heard of this. And by the way, I doubt we'll ever do this at our church. If, we, if, the, if the opportunity arises, we, will just, we, won't, we won't be like Moses, I promise you that. But notice what Moses says, he said, let neither man nor woman make, he's saying, notice, he's saying make any more work. So this is what he said. He said, you're doing too much. He said, you're working too much. He said, you're giving too much. He said, he said, let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And look what it says. So the people were refrained. They were stopped from bringing for the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it. Look, notice the last three words in verse 7. And too much. Could you imagine if Pastor Jimenez, and he never will. <laughs> but could you imagine if Pastor Jimenez stood up on Sunday morning and said, Listen, you need to stop giving. We have too much money. The bank won't let us deposit any more money in the bank. Will you? We're being audited for, for money laundering. He said, You're giving too much. I'll never do that. He said, I'll just open another account. <laughs> you could you imagine? But could you imagine if I said, Hey, listen, you guys are going so many too much. Just just stop. Go home and spend time with your family. You know what I mean? I mean, you're just doing too much. That's a miracle. Usually, you're usually you're praying. You know, Lord, it's the first. <laughs> Got to pay rent. Please help the offering to be good. We need at least X amount of dollars. Usually, you're praying. Lord, will you please help our soul winners? Help us have some soul winners out. Help us to see some people saved. You know, we're praying for them. Moses got, and you say, if you don't think that was a miracle, you've not dealt with people. Because it was a miracle to have a man stand up and say, too much, too much work, too much giving, you're doing too much, you're loving too much, you're caring too much, you're, 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 it's too much, just stop, refrain the people, stop. That's a miracle. See, what happened is, people started working together. And when people started working together, they started getting excited. And when people started working together, they started encouraging each other. So you know, it's not just that you, know, you, you should come to church to hear the Word of God, and we understand that, and we want you to hear the Word of God. But you know that you can listen to the Word of God on the Internet? But you can't get the fellowship and encouragement on the Internet. You can't get the prayer time on the Internet. You can't, you can't fellowship with other Christians. You can't grow in your Christian faith with other believers while watching the televangelist. You understand what I'm talking about? These people started working together, and as they were working together, they started getting excited. And when they started getting excited, they started saying, Hey, you're, you're, you're going down there to work again? Oh, sure, I'll go. I had fun last, yesterday when we were over there. And, they, and people started coming, and they started working, and they started building, and they started giving, and they were getting in it. And Moses said, It's too much, too much. Go home, it's too much. Isn't that amazing? See, you got to understand, people sometimes ask me, Are you there? Go to Ephesians chapter 3. People sometimes ask me, You really think you're going to make a difference in Sacramento? Really think you're going to make a difference? See, what you don't understand... See, did Moses expect that? I don't think he did. In fact, based on these people's history, I think Moses expected the exact opposite. Moses thought, man, these people are stiff-necked and stubborn and cheap. <laughs> They're not going to give. But you, what you got to understand is... Are you in Ephesians chapter 3? Look at verse uh, 20. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Let me get there myself. The Bible says, Now unto him that is able to do, notice these words, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now think about that. 
God, the Bible says that God is able to do exceeding abundant above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. That means if I think one day we could have 70 soul winners and to me that's like, whoa, 20 years from now, maybe God would allow us to have 70 consistent, well-trained soul winners. God says, I can do more than you can even imagine. He says, I can do it. You say, maybe one day I could, my family could, could have this God. Or maybe my, one day my child could serve God in this way. Or maybe one day my marriage could be in this situation. Or maybe, you know, whatever you're thinking. Maybe one day my business could be here. Or God says, I can do more than you can even think about. He says, I can accomplish more. He says, now to him that is able to do exceeding abundant above all that we have to think. I'm sure most of us are getting down on the knees and saying, God, I just pray. I just hope that we get enough to just at least get the tenth up. If we can get the tenth up, then maybe we can go into debt for the rest of it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And God brought more. God did more. To the point where you had to say, look, we, we have enough. Go home. See, we're not just talking financially here, but we're talking you know, financially. And also, go, go back to Acts 17. See, what you've got to understand, my friend, is that we've got to work together in order to make an impact. You know, what, you know what that church in Acts did when they came together in one accord? Go to Acts 17. Look at verse 6. We're, we're almost done. I'm not going to take a long time. Acts 17. Look at verse 6. Acts 17 and verse 6. Acts 17 and verse number 6. The Bible says, and when, and when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, Crying, look what they said. This is what they said about the apostles and the church of Jerusalem. It says, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Isn't that amazing? Could you imagine if our, if our soul winners? Could you imagine if, if, we, if we knocked on all the doors in, in the Natomas area, in the Sacramento area? Could you imagine if, 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 our, if our map got to the place where it's so filled up, we started going into West Sacramento because we were just done all of Sacramento? Could you imagine if all our soul winners got on a little van and went down to West Sacramento? And when we got to West Sacramento, the mayor of West Sacramento met us somewhere and said, These that have turned the world upside down are here. Isn't that amazing? Yes, it is. Somebody would say that? Say, well, these are people. Well, they said that was a church. We're a church. If they can do it in the book of Acts, why can't we do it? Go, go to Acts chapter 5. Look at verse 28. Acts chapter 5, verse number 28. Acts chapter 5 and verse 28. Bible say, look, look what it says. Acts. Chapter 5 and verse number 28. Acts 5.28 says, saying, Did not, look what it says, Did not we straightly command you? This is what they're saying to the leaders of the church of Jerusalem. They're saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? They said, Look, we told you not to teach in this name. And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. That's it, you know, People, soul winning, that's kind of weird. You go out door knocking. The Bible says about the church in Acts that they filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. That's a church that's making an impact. Amen. Go to go to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Say, well, why, why does it matter? Why should we make an impact? Why, why should we make a difference? Why should we go out and try to get people saved? Why, why do all that, Pastor? Why, why work together? And why grow together? And why have God do uh, great works uh, with us? Well, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you look at verse number 13, 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 13. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse number 13, the Bible says, But evil men... And seducers, look what it says, shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Do you see that? 
Let me tell you something. This world is not getting better, it's getting worse. This world is not getting safer, it's getting more dangerous. This world is not getting godlier, it's getting more wicked, it's getting more evil. The Bible says that, that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We've got to make an impact. You know, my, my heart breaks, honestly, for the situation with Elijah Marie, but, you know, all, all day today and, and last night, my, my heart broke as I, as I watched the election results. I don't know if you really understand this or really care. But you know, the results of the election last night just show so much of how our society is just getting worse and worse. And I know some people are excited about different things or whatever. Excuse me if I do not get excited that we elected a president who believes that a man should be able to marry a man and a woman should be able to marry a woman. Well, the Bible says that's an abomination. The Bible says that it's a sin. The Lord Jesus Christ said that in the beginning it was not so. He said, a man, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. He said, a man and a woman. And the fact that we've got the first elected president who comes out and says, I'm for gay marriage. Excuse me if I don't get excited over that. Excuse me if I don't get excited over a president who believes that we ought to have partial birth abortions. You know what a partial birth abortion is? You partially give birth to a child and then you abort it. Excuse me if I don't get excited over a president who thinks that, you know, if, if you botch an abortion and the child accidentally comes out alive, you ought to be allowed to kill it after it's born. Wow. You know, and, I'm so, and you say, I didn't know any about that about Obama. Yeah, you talk to the average American, all you knew is that he was black. Well, that's why I voted for him, because he's black. Excuse me if, if I don't get, you know, you say, are you against black people? I'm not against black people, I'm against wicked people. And you know, I, I think it was uh, Martin Luther King Jr. who was supposed to be, you know, the favored son about, uh, uh, of, of, you know, civil rights and all that. And I think it was Martin Luther King Jr. who said in his famous I Have a Dream speech that he dreamt of a day when people would be judged based on not the color of their skin, but on the content of their character. Amen. And I don't think you ought to vote for someone, well, he's the first black president. Yeah, he believes in murdering children. He believes in wicked things. He believes in something. Our society is just insane. I don't know if you follow the propositions. I don't know if you really care. state of California probably brought in the worst laws last night that it, it ever had. It could ever could. I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know if you know. I don't know if you voted on them. I don't know if you care, if you looked into it. I mean, our state literally voted to raise taxes on its people. On its, its own people decided to raise taxes on when its people are starving. When its people are unemployed. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I mean, to, we the, last night, I, I don't know if you know this or you care, but the impact that our nation has, that this election will have in our nation, I'm telling you, something needs to change. And it's not going to start at the White House. It's going to start right here. It's going to start at the Word of God. But let me tell you something. Last night, we ushered in a welfare society that is just never going to go away. I don't know if you get that. And look, I understand that our, 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 our government, and, and we need to help people, and I'm all for that. And there are people who legitimately need, they need help, and they, they're, they're not, you know, we, we get that, obviously, and I know you understand that. There are people we need to help. But let me tell you something. The, the way the economy works, 
The economy is like a cart. And there are some people who are riding on it, and there are some people who are pulling it. And the people who ride on it are just a load and a burden, and they're not helping get the economy anywhere. And then there are people who are pulling it. And I don't know if you get this, but as California votes more and more and more and more welfare-type mentality things, programs coming in. I don't know if you know this. I mean, you need to read newspapers or, or follow things, but statistics are proving. Do you understand that people with money are leaving California by the droves? You know why? Because they're saying, I'm tired of pulling. I'm tired of getting picked on. I'm, ti- I'm tired of, you know, I, I don't know what you were doing, but at 5 in the morning, I was getting in my car and driving away to go to work, and I got home around, you know, 6.15, worked over 12 hours, so that my taxes can go to help for somebody who isn't working, who isn't helping, who isn't a cop. I'm telling you, there comes a point, you can only milk the cow so much. Eventually the money runs out. And eventually people with money leave. And when the economy collapses, I'm telling you, our economy is going to get worse from here on. And California is leading the way. And, and based on last night's election, whatever happens to California, it deserves. Because everybody wants to vote to raise somebody else's taxes. And everybody wants to vote, and everybody wants a free handout. Look, let me tell you, I, I don't know if you understand this. We're, I'm supposed to be excited because Obama gives out health care, and Obama gives out this, and Obama gives out that. If a, if, do you understand that if a party gets its power from poor people, then its powers, if its power is derived from poor people, then its agenda is to keep as many people poor as possible. Do you get that? Yes. See, and, and today, we, we've just been lied to by our society. And, and you say, well, why does it matter? Because of lack of character. Look, today, there was a day when 16-year-olds would get excited to go get their first job. So they could go serve, earn money and save money and buy their own first car. You know my wife bought her first car at 16 years old, paid cash for it. She went and got a job, saved her money, paid cash. Say, Pastor, did you? No, I didn't. <laughs> when my wife and I got married, she brought all the money, I brought all the bills. You understand? That's kind of how it was. She had the car, I had charming good looks. <laughs> that's, that, that's what I brought to the table, okay? I was charming, she was loaded. No, I'm just kidding. But she, you know, that was the day. You know today? You know what our society today? People, I can't wait till I'm 18 years old so I can get that SSI check. Can't wait till I'm 18 years old, I can get that welfare check. And they literally sell their souls for a few hundred dollars. And today, and you say, well, do you don't think people should need help? I think people should need help. But let me tell you something. Some of these disabilities and some of these things that people need help, look, if you ruined your body because of drugs and alcohol, I don't think I ought to help you for that. If you ruined your body because of an unhealthy lifestyle or unhealthy living or whatever, hey, that's not my problem. And you take, and you say, well, Pastor, why? You seem a little upset about it. Actually, I am a little upset about it. You know why? Because the person they attack, see, today, go have children, go have kids from four different dads. Go, today, you can have your kids with all these different women. Don't raise them. Don't be there for them. And that's okay. You know who gets punished? The guy who's married to one lady who has all, you know, you have three children from the same wife. Isn't that amazing? The, the guy who gets up and works all day long, raises his children, loves his wife, loves his kids, tries to do right by them, doesn't want to be a burden. That's the guy that gets punished because I have to pay extra taxes now. Because we have a society of people who say, Obama's going to give me free health care. You've got my vote. He's a black guy, right? That's right. It's insane. It's totally insane. It's crazy. we got to wake up. And I'm telling you, the judgment of God is coming. You say, Pastor, are you racist? 
Look at me. Do I look like a racist? You insane? We need to, and by the way, you, you kids that are listening right now, grow up and get a job and work hard and live godly and do right. And live righteously. And the reason that our society is in the way, in the shape it's in right now, the reason the economy is in the shape it's in right now, because people are preaching this. People are telling dads to stay home and raise their children and love their wife. And you're like, well, I'm not in love anymore. Then do it for your kids or do it for the love of country or do it for the love of God. This is the kind of preaching we need. And when the depression comes and when the economy fails and when everything falls apart and your Messiah Obama isn't there to help you, you're going to wish that there was pastors and preachers standing up and telling people, hey, have some character, and hey, go work, and hey, stop stealing from people. That's right. Yes, that's right. Yes. People say, well, pastor, you're going to get free health care. No, I'm going to get, no. You know who gets the free health care? The people that are getting, being supported by the government. You know what I'm going to get? They're not going to let me have free health care because I make too much money. So you guess what? They're gonna. I make, I make too much money to get the free health care, but I don't make enough money to actually afford health care. Do you understand that? So they're going to say, well, you don't have health care. You're going gonna to charge you a fee. So now I have to pay a fee because people wanted free health care. Wish they'd just get a job. Wish they'd just pay for their own health care. I don't have health care. You say, well, what do you do? I pray that God will keep my family safe. I try to eat healthy and do right. I eat my vegetables. <laughs> my wife makes me eat my vegetables. I'm just, and the reason this is so, just this concept of things that I'm saying right now are just so foreign to our society. But this used to be just a common thing a dad taught his child growing up. To work hard, have character, pay your bills, do right, save your money. Don't, don't just splurge your money on, well, I've got all this money, I've got, you know, this will be why. I got, I got, I got paid, I got to spend it, it's gone within 24 hours. What'd you do with your money? I don't know. We went out to eat a lot, though. I got all sorts of this and that. It's ridiculous. You say, what is it? It's lack of character. Because men of God aren't standing up and preaching to them. I'm, I'm, I'm just You say, why does it matter? Because this is the kind of impact. You say, we need to get people saved. Yeah, we need to get people saved. We need to get people baptized. Yes, we need to get people baptized. And we need to get people discipled. Yes, we need to get people discipled in the Word of God. But not only that, so we can grow their character. So that marriages will stay married. So that children will grow up being obedient and understanding a, a, a word that is foreign today. Responsibility. There used to be a day when children were told, hey, you better not do anything that's going to cause you to have a child unless you're ready to take on that responsibility. You know what they're told today? Just come to the high school. We'll give you free protection. And if you end up having a child, don't worry about it because the government will give you money. Whenever you subsidize anything, you'll get more of it. You subsidize corn, you get a whole lot of corn from Nebraska. And you subsidize laziness, and you get more laziness. You subsidize sin, and you get more sin. I'm just going to tell you, the, the election, you know, you say, well, you shouldn't be reading about the election. It's after the election. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> the election just showed me that our, most of our society, especially in California, is just lazy and it just wants a free handout, and they don't think about the fact that that money's got to come from somewhere. And you can only take it from certain people. I mean, I'm here to tell you, if I, if I didn't know that God called me here, I'd be more. <laughs> and people are leaving. People with money. Because they said, I don't want to pay more taxes. I don't want to get more taken advantage of. Let me tell you something. 
You punish success. I, I literally heard people today on the radio, people calling in saying, what's the point? I might as well just quit my job and go get on every government program that I can. They're going to take it anyway. I might as well just do it. At least that way I can just stay home all day. That's, but, but see, we're, just, we're just saying, well, what's the problem? You see, when you, when you promote or when you reward that type of mentality, then you get that type of mentality. Yeah. When somebody stands up and works all day, and at the end of the year has to pay thousands and thousands of dollars in taxes, and then gets fined because he, he made too much money to get the free stuff, but he made not enough money to get the old, you know. What that's, what, you're punishing success. And there's a, I'm, just, I'm trying to warn you, there's a financial collapse coming in America's future. And when it happens, there's going to be a whole lot of people who are going to be humbled, and they're going to be ready to get saved. And, you're, and our church better be in one accord, working together, ready to preach the gospel, ready to get people saved, ready to make an impact. And, and while we're saving souls, and, our, and while we're helping marriages, and while we're raising children, maybe we can also restore our nation. This election... It's just a discouragement. Go, go back to Exodus 36. We're done right here. Exodus chapter 36. I just, I just want you to see it again. I'm not going to go to any more verses, but Exodus chapter 36. Look at verse... Look at verse just, just look at verse 6. Just 5 and 6 again. That's just amazing. And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. Isn't that amazing? Say, Pastor, are you, are you upset about No, I think there's hope for America. And by the way, I think there's hope for individuals. I think there's hope for people. You say, well, you know, I, I led a life. I think God can change you. I think God can help you. If I didn't think that, then I wouldn't be wasting my time right now. God is in the business of saving souls, and He's in the business of redeeming lives. He's in the business of restoring. But we got to understand that we also can't just turn a blind eye and think that everything's okay, everything's fine. There are consequences to our decisions, and there are consequences to elections. And I'm just trying to warn you, get ready for it, because it's coming. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dearly Father, Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for our church, Lord. And I don't know about any other pulpit in America. I'm sure there are. But I don't, I just, I, I'm not accountable or responsible for those. But I do thank God that there is a place in Sacramento where it doesn't matter. The Democrats got a super majority. Who cares? We're going to preach the word of God. And I think we need to confront our society's views and we need to confront our society's apathy and we need to preach what the Bible says and teach character. The content of your character is how you should be judged. Father, we love you. Thank you for our church. In your precious name I pray. Amen.